This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins the national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! I know he's been really good at handling his room. That's a guy that's respected. He has a lot of motivation. He was excited when I talked to him about it. The guys in the room were excited for Kenny. You know, I thought about it a lot Saturday night, what, which way I was going to go, how I was going to go, and things of that nature. Bringing somebody in from outside right now didn't make a lot of sense to me, simply because, I mean, to me, that's more of giving up on the season. And this is not what we're doing. We're just trying to make a change. Hopefully we can get our kids to play a little faster and, and tougher and things of that nature. Got Chuck Barrett with us for one more segment here on Halftime. That was Sam Pittman yesterday talking about new offensive, well, interim offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Kenny Guyton. Uh, Chuck, uh, one man's loss is another man's opportunity in this case. Uh, for, for Coach Guyton, um, it's got to be pretty exciting, but at the same time, it's like, wow, this happened pretty fast for somebody uh, in his early 30s. Yeah, 32 years old, and he's going to uh, face enormous responsibility. And the reality is he's going to be um, judged by an entire fan base. That's just the truth of the matter. And, uh, but from a professional standpoint, what a great opportunity. I mean, what a great opportunity, and that's the way you have to approach it. You know, he's, uh, he's a young man, and he's got an opportunity for four games to run an SEC offense. Most guys don't get to do that their entire coaching career. So for him to have an opportunity to do that now is, I'm sure, very special for him, and I'm sure he wants to make the most of every moment. Yeah, it'll be a, a little bit of a change uh, for him, definitely, and probably a little more meetings with the quarterbacks and receivers together. Chuck, do you know if uh, he'll be on the sideline, or does he like to be up in the box? I think he may still be on the sideline. Um, I, I, I think there's been some conversation about that based on what Coach Pittman said yesterday, and I think he sort of prefers to be there. Now, what they'll decide ultimately by the time they get to next week, I'm I'm not sure, but... It sounds like he prefers to be on the field. Off week for the team. Um, does this come at the right time? I mean, we could talk about the idea that physically, after playing eight games, and, you know, we don't even need to get into the four-game road stretch, that physically you need <clears throat> you need a break. And so maybe that comes at the right time. And maybe in the context of the change that's been made, an offensive coordinator, it, this was the only time that you really could do something like that. Emotionally, you know, you, you and I talk about baseball sometimes. We like you got a game the next day. More often than not, you get a chance to get over that. It's been s- over six weeks, Chuck, since they last won a game, and they're going into an off week on the weight of that. Does this, does this drastic change in offensive coordinator, does that help you know, kind of like, well, you know, we can forget about what's happened recently and let's just go into this off week and, and see what happens. I think it helps, yes. I think that's why you do it. Now, when the open date falls, I mean, you don't have any control over that. Um, you know, my, my, my hunch, very frankly, is open week or not, if they'd lost in the manner in which they did Saturday, that this change would have been made Sunday regardless of whether there was an open week or not. Um, 
I, I just thought they bottomed out Saturday. And, um, you know, to me, you know, there's going to be some life injected. I, I'm pretty certain of that. And as I said earlier, and as we've seen often, there generally is a spike. Now, it may not last very long. I don't know. But, you know, I, I would um, I'd be very surprised if there's not a spike, you know, from an offensive standpoint when they play Florida. You know, you said something earlier, Matt, and, and, and it's true in, in all sports. All it takes is one play. All it takes is one play. Um, I can cite you in all three of our sports. You know, just certain plays that have changed things, changed seasons. Um, you know, they need a play like that, preferably early in that game against Florida, where all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, here we go. We got a chance to move the ball on offense. Let's get the tempo going. Let's let's drive down the field and get a touchdown. Um, that's not happened in a while, at least not on a consistent basis. So it just hit me, I mean, you're going to Florida, right? It's our last road game. I know it's not this weekend, it's next week. Um, didn't you guys take a bus the last time you played in Gainesville? Was it one of the longest road trips you've ever been a part of? That was the COVID year. And, you know, the, the broadcast teams in the SEC were all separated from the actual teams themselves. All of us normally travel with them, but that year we couldn't. So, yeah, we took a bus. We had a tour bus. It was it was really nice. It was like uh, Justin Moore's people recommended it. That's right. And uh, we took it to all the road games. And if I remember right, we left Arkansas sometime early in the afternoon, maybe even mid-morning, um, the Thursday. Rode in the bus all night. Got there by daylight. Went and played golf. And... Um, then spent the rest of the day at the hotel, and after the game, rode the bus back. And I think we got home mid to late afternoon on Sunday. That was um, that was a heck of a trip. Nice long I bus ride. I remember that very well. I'll bet you do. I remember my longest bus ride, Medicine Hat, Alberta, to Ogden, Utah, 16 hours Ooh. straight. Matt, what's yours? Ooh, I don't know. We uh, When we were, like, in junior high, we, we might have drove to Phoenix from here, something, something like that. But uh-huh. I don't think I had the long bus ride. Did you take the bus with the baseball team? Was it bus travel at first, Chuck? Oh, yeah. Yeah, these were uh, – those buses were like chairback buses or the old sleeper buses. <laughs> now, I'm not going to lie. This bus we had, I mean, it was uh, – it was luxury it was luxury city we all had our own beds and had a driver and um i mean on a lot of these games we'd get on the bus right after a night game and you'd go to sleep you'd wake up and you'd be home so um i wouldn't want to do it again but it, it it was a lot of fun once we had a great time someone like me back and i can fit myself in any nook and cranny in a bus someone like you man That'd be a different story. Get up on the top level where they, right. they have the shelf. Hey, yeah. These right. beds were so luxurious that even Gino Bell slept comfortably. And if <laughs> Gino can sleep comfortably, Matt, I think you can too. Chuck, uh, NBA starts tonight. Uh, I but I, Not that I want to ask really an NBA question. I, I can't really get into the NBA until after Christmas. But uh, the, the Hogs play. They play Purdue pretty soon. Yes, uh, they are do. Are you going to get to get your eyes on that? I am. It's going to be our first broadcast. It'll be a warm-up broadcast for us, too. And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, my gosh, Zach Eady, you know, player of the year, unanimous 
first-team All-American. Purdue's ranked third. I mean, we think good, and we are. You know, imagine what Purdue thinks. They're ranked third in the country, and they got the player of the year coming back. So this is a, uh, you know, this could be a, you know, this could be a, uh, you know, we could see something like this sometime in March. Who knows? Is there any bigger difference in uh, your two opponents in an exhibition season? Than, and it's nothing <laughs> against Texas Tyler. It's a no, Division II school. And then yeah. Purdue is a front runner to go to the Final Four. Yeah, a little bit of difference there. Um, I'm sure Tyler's going to win some games at their level. Uh, but, you know, Arkansas, honestly, is playing a team, as you say, that's ranked higher, a team that um, has even higher expectations than the Razorbacks do, and ours are through the roof. So, yeah, it's a great matchup. I, 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 um, I think people people are going to love watching it. I Somebody... You know, lots of people have asked me what I think the attendance is going to be like. My honest answer is I don't know, but my suspicion is that more than you think. And that's kind of been my stock answer is more than you think. I think people are, first off, they're, they're starved to watch the Razorbacks win. And that's no knock on football. It's just the truth. Our fan base starved to watch a Razorback team win. And they'll go to that game. And um, they'll be front and center at Bud Walton Arena this year. What do you think will be... You know, every every one of Muss's teams plays hard-nosed defense. But then there's always been something different about them that stands out in these last four years. What, what do you think can or, in your mind, will stand out about this version of Eric Musselman's Razorbacks? Well, I'm not sure because I've not seen him yet, other than, you know, just the glimpse that we all got last Friday. I, I, don't, I don't know that I know enough to say that. I do know that... From what I gather, um, this team's going to shoot the ball really well. And I mean from all over the floor and sometimes beyond the arc. Um, that's, you know, their, their, their style of play, and I realize analytics have a lot to do with this, and the NBA game in some respects has turned into this, is to get to the foul line. Um, this team may shoot the ball well enough where they don't have to play that way. I don't know. Um, but it, it certainly sounds like They've got options in terms of guys who can score. And, you know, there's, there's a premium on that. And, and it sounds like they've got a lot of prospects there. But I'm going to have to watch them play a few times before I give you a definitive answer. I feel like we go into each season <clears throat> knowing how Musk runs the team and how the minutes get doled out and how that, you know, list of players that get minutes kind of dwindles in the, in the non-conference and then you kind of settle around your 7 and 8. But when you look at the roster, you've got 10, 11 guys, maybe 12, that have played minutes either at Arkansas or somewhere else. I'm talking 20-plus minutes. Big-time college basketball, yeah. Yes. It's going to be amazing to watch the non-conference because I don't know if – everybody asks, is this the year that Muss's rotation gets larger? I don't know if – I don't you know I don't know if that's in his DNA. I mean, if he kind of settles around 7 and 8. So, to me, that's – I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch this over the first – you know, two months of the season. It sure does make these non-conference ball games against big-name opponents really important. And the thing about these types of opponents that Arkansas is going to play, you're going to find out who can play at that level. You know, some of these guys have, a lot of these guys have shown that they're really good players. Um, and they're going to, you know, they're going to have an opportunity to do that again. Uh, this may be the year where 
Bus does go nine or ten, and it, and it's 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 really. I realize when you get into some of these March games, and right at the end, he's he's pared it down a lot, but he's still gone nine and ten deep, at least to a degree, um, during the course of the conference season, and it does whittle down dramatically at the end. Um, I sense that, and I've always thought this about Mus, that he will change as the situation calls for it, and. You know, he's a very adaptable guy. Mm-hmm. And my, my suspicion is if 9 or 10 or 11 guys earn the opportunity to play, then they'll get that opportunity. But I think the bar is going to be pretty high because there's so much talent, so much depth. Hey, sports fans, don't let plumbing issues throw you off your game. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric is here to tackle those pesky drain blockages and ensure your water heater is always in MVP form. With Pascal's world-class service, you can count on a winning play every time. Whether it's a quick drain clear or a water heater touchdown, Pascal's got the expertise to keep your home running smoothly. Stay in the game and leave the plumbing to the pros. Schedule your service online anytime at gopascal.com. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Hi, everybody. This is Chris George from Joshua's Fine Jewelry in beautiful downtown Russellville. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas gifts, weddings, heirloom family treasures. And at Joshua's Fine Jewelry, we only have one sale every year, and it's right now. Every single item in our store is value priced for Christmas. We do custom one-of-a-kind jewelry. If that's what you're looking for, come see us. You can get anything fixed for a Christmas gift. Selection, quality, service, and Christmas red tag prices now through Christmas at Joshua's Fine Jewelry in beautiful downtown Russellville. Phil Elson, Matt Jones, Christian Johnston producing, and we have with us right now K.J. Jefferson sitting between me and Matt Jones. I believe this is the first time, time you guys have talked in person yeah. before, right? It yeah. is, it is, it is. That's big pretty, fan, man. Big fan, K.J. Thank you. Thank you. you guys make me feel a little bit smaller than most, that's for sure, but uh, <laughs> K.J., it's great to have you here today. Um, a lot going on in uh, in Arkansas football land these days. What have uh, what has it been like the last uh, the last few days since uh, the game against Mississippi State? Uh, it's been pretty frustrating. I mean, just knowing that um, the season not going how we want it to go. Uh, we have some very elite uh, players on our team, and we all have leaders on our team as well that we want the season to go how we want it to go, and it's not going that way. So it's pretty frustrating at times. But me being a leader is the biggest thing. Is me keeping my teammates together, keeping the locker room. Uh, together and making sure we bond and not letting outside noise come in and divide us. Has, um, you're, you're looking at it in leadership terms first and foremost, not necessarily about performance. Are you are you viewing it in leadership terms specifically? Uh, of course, I mean, uh, for me, it always starts with leadership. I mean, uh, we want to be a player-led team. Uh, those are the great teams. Uh, they are player-led. Uh, so for me, in my standpoint, I'm, I would just want to be a, a leader, a great leader on the field and making sure that I'm pushing guys to the standard and holding each other accountable and, and guys holding me accountable as well. The move the move um, at offensive coordinator was, you know Kenny Guyton fairly well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been on the coaching staff the last couple of years. Um, tell me what you feel about getting a, not just a new offensive coordinator, somebody that you know, but also he's going to be coaching you because he's now the quarterback's coach. Uh, of course, I mean, I always have love for uh, Coach, uh, Coach G, uh, as we call him, and uh, he once played quarterback before, so he understands 
uh, from a quarterback perspective and where we're seeing back there and how the role and how the game is being played from my point of view. So uh, I'm just excited for him. Um, looking for, uh, I mean, we're going to run the same thing, but it's going to be a slight difference in the offense as far as going tempo-wise and being able to do certain things that we're good at and being able to build off those things that we are good at. What you benching these days? Um, so they actually take care of us. So um, the most I got up to was like 275, and they stopped us right there. Man, yeah. dude, you just breaking tackles all day. What's, <laughs> what's a typical week like for you up there? How, how much film do y'all do, and then how much like on-field do y'all do getting ready for, for, for a game on Saturday? Uh, so we have meetings at 2.30, uh, but sometimes the quarterback will meet like at 2 o'clock, or sometimes we'll come in early in the morning at 7 and meet and uh, try to get a, a jump start on the day and on our opponent as well. So um, today we have the quarterbacks having a meeting at 2 o'clock today, uh, meeting with Coach Guy and stuff and breaking down what he's thinking about uh, schematics-wise and schemes. So getting in, um, and then after that we have walkthrough. Uh, since it's about we will have walked through on the field at like 3.30 maybe, and we're walking through every scenario that we can that possibly come up in the game. Interesting. You know, you say you're, you'll have a meeting with Coach Guyton. Have you have you met with him yet? No, we have. We uh, we actually met yesterday. Uh, he came in. We brought the whole offense up and, uh, as a unit meeting, and he basically broke down his two um, his two things that he was focusing on uh, moving forward as an offense, and that's enthusiasm, uh, just being able to have fun and be passionate and also accountability. Uh, everybody taking accountable uh, for their their mistakes. If, if somebody mess up, uh, we have to be able to get on them, pinpoint it right then and there, and not letting just blow by and turning that small problem to a big problem and just trying to nip it in the bud right then and there. Can I hit on on something you just mentioned here? And it's something that Coach Pittman brought up yesterday in his press conference. It's the idea of enthusiasm mm-hmm. that he thought he, he could tell uh, early on Saturday that there might not have been that enthusiasm. Um, I guess that can be a little difficult to generate when when things are going slowly on, on that side of the ball. But mm. if with with a reset offensively, with a new offensive coordinator trying to simplify that playbook, it would seem does enthusiasm become easier to generate now? I would say yes because I mean you have guys that's that's playing more confident now and not scared to make a mistake and uh, they want to be coached hard and just being able to have a simplified playbook down to where guys can play faster, they don't have to think as much, and they, they, they're they knowing, they're grasping the uh, material quickly, and now when it's on the field, they know their keys, they know what they're looking at, and they can just be able to play faster and confident. You love playing fast, don't you? Of course. Yeah. Of course. It's difficult to play fast if you're going three yards at a time, though. Is that is that fair? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing about going fast is is it, it creates an advantage for us and a disadvantage for the defense, for them being able to, to try to get their calls in. And we mainly catch them in base defense, and we know what that base defense is, so we can be able to attack different um, areas of the field. Bill, is a, he's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and I always say you remind me of Big Ben Rossenberger. Who, who are some quarterbacks you look up to or that you study that you kind of pat in your game after? Uh, Jalen Hurts, for sure. Uh, I would say that's number one, uh, just from the way he approaches the game, his preparation, and uh, the thing, the leadership that he has on the sideline after a good play or after a bad play. He's always level-headed, neutral mindset, and ready to play the next play. Uh, I would say Jalen Hurts, for one, uh, Josh Josh Allen, just from a physicality standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, as a big quarterback, um, I was have to say. Uh, also, um, I like uh, Joe Burrow as well. Joe Burrow, his footwork. Joe's cool, yeah. His yeah. footwork. I love his footwork in the pocket and uh, his great pocket uh, sense and urgency that he has on the field. What would you like to do offensively now? Because well, Sam Pittman is talking about 
we got to focus on what works. Um, what do you think can work in, in this offense right now? Uh, like I said, getting back to tempo, getting back to playing fast and uh, making sure that, I mean, doing the things that we're good at. I mean, so far in the past, tempo has been great to us, uh, being able to put points up on the board and get up on defenses quickly and starting fast as well coming out. So I would like to see uh, moving forward, us being able to tempo, uh, boost the speed of the game up a little bit and try to catch defense in some bad situations and uh, take advantage of it. Matt asked you about... Um, you know, uh, getting out and running a little bit. Are you, uh, and how much you bench, or how's your body feeling? You've taken a lot of hits this year. Uh, actually, my body's feeling pretty good. I mean, I got nicks and bruises, but they come with the game. But uh, I try to stay as much as possible out the training room for, like, big injuries. But uh, I go in the training room, get massages, and do a little field good stuff and exercise and make sure that come Saturday I'm in the best position and my body's feeling good to go out there and perform. That had to be such a frustrating piece of, of your second year as a starter. You had a great season last year, but you dealt with injuries and more than just being nicked up. There were a couple games you had to miss. This year you've been healthy, so that has to add, I guess, a little to the frustration level because there's been those high expectations and, and you've been healthy this year. Yeah, of course, like you said, I mean, me being healthy this year and the season not going the way that I wanted to go uh, for me being my senior season, uh, it's pretty frustrating at times and I kind of get down on myself and I just have a great support system that's always there for me and rooting me on and making sure that I'm still blessed and honored to be in the situation that I'm in and just take a full advantage of it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think my senior year we were five and seven, and you're kind of you're doing anything you can to try to do better than that. That's that, that's for sure. Are you a baseball guy? Do you play baseball in high school? I did. You, do you are you going to be watching the World Series at all? I'm not. Okay. All right. I had to, I had to see. All right. All right. All right. Well, the NBA is starting. Are you a basketball guy? Uh, a little bit. I, I watch it every now and then, but I'm a LeBron fan, so you're a football guy, right? You are football through and through. Yeah, of course. That's what it's all about. Yeah, of course. Got to. That's that's interesting. Um, I want to ask about uh, one of the things that Coach Pittman had brought up, too, uh, the idea of of trying to roll the pocket a little bit. Mm. Um, Take some, you know, uh, give give you a little more. uh, I guess it's a different way to to protect you Mm. a little. And and just to get back to, you know, some of the the hits that you've taken, it's got to be difficult. You know, you've... uh, you were in the pocket a lot more up until this point. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. It, have you have you felt uh, that pressure coming through? Because uh, that has to make you uncomfortable. Because it looks like they've you know the the defense has broken through quite a bit, and yet you know there's nowhere to go sometimes. Yeah, I mean it's pretty frustrating at times too as well. Like it kind of it kind of messes with your confidence level a little bit. Uh, you kind of start going through reads a whole lot faster and. Uh, kind of get anxious back there in the pocket and uh, creates a little anxiety as well. I mean, you knowing that they might blitz or do some type of twist game or bring a, another element in and uh, we're not being able to see it or pick it up or they might disguise a blitz really well that we're not may be able to see. And when the pressure do come back there, it's, it's up to me to make a guy miss or try to make sure that I'm communicating the O-line, pulling out the mic and everything like that. So it kind of gets frustrating at times and kind of creates an anxiety for you. Just a moment ago, and you've, you've hit on so much about the, I, that leadership means something to you, not just in, in how you're running yourself as a quarterback, but that's what you brought up with Jalen Hurts. You know, the when, when a team is struggling, players are looking to the captain sometimes. They're looking to the coaches, but player-led locker rooms are always the best ones. Who do you lean on? You know, because you've even talked about feeling frustrated too. Who do you lean on? What is your support system? Uh, I actually lean on, I actually lean on a couple uh, of the other guys, the other captains like Landon Jackson on the defense side, uh, Jeff Coat on that side, Poo Paul, guys like that that uh, 
that uh, getting things going on the defense side and trying to figure out different ways that I can bring the energy from the defense side and try to bring it on the offense side and maybe do I need to do something different or uh, call a meeting up for the whole offense and say a few inspiring words, encouraging words that'll get guys riled up and ready to go out there and play. So uh, from next, from a football standpoint, I would look at those guys, but from a support system, I mean, my mom, I mean, she's really big on me about leadership and knowing what I need to do and what I need to do better. Uh, so she's my biggest critic as well, but she's also a very valuable piece. It seems to me, Matt, like he's, and also, um, you know, you're talking about a lot of defensive players there, Landon, Paul, those guys. Defensively, there, there's been energy from the start. I mean, do you get a chance? To, I mean, you've got to be over by the sideline and talking with your guys and all that, but you get a chance to watch them do their thing and it's been amazing to see how, how, how the defense has kind of turned drastically from last year. Yeah, it has. I mean, and you see it at practice as well. I mean, Coach T. Will had those guys fired up from uh, fastball starts, and all the way through our practice, those guys are just fully energetic and ready to go out there and compete at a very high level. And, I mean, as an offense, you want to have a defense like that, but also as an offense and as a quarterback, you want to be able to match that intensity, match their effort as well to make sure you have a great team all around. How did you and uh, you're in uh, Armstrong's relationship? How did y'all mesh so well? Because it seems like y'all really got something going. Uh, just, um, just, uh, just being around him uh, in the off season. He's talented, man. He, he, yeah, for he, sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just being around him in the off season, just watching his work and then the way he go about his business. I mean, coming from D two and then coming to D one, he kind of had that chip on the shoulder, that edge and that uh, mentality that he brings to uh, brings to the team and brings to the receiver room as well. So just having a guy like that that I can lean on and count on, it just brings that motivation out. How much do you think this team has missed Rocket? You know, Dubinion, Green, those are really good running backs. Rocket, you know, he, his talent is, is a little bit different than most others. How much do you think the team has missed his presence? Uh, his presence is definitely missed. I mean, having a guy back there that rushed last season for 1,400 yards, I mean, so having a guy like, like Rocket being gone, uh, it's, I mean, he's, like I said, his presence is very missed, but also, we, like you said, we, have, we do have great backs in that, in that room, and Dabinion and Green and Johnson and all those guys. So his presence is very missed, but also he also come back and make sure he's leading those guys as well and being a helpful piece where he can help guys out, whether that's blocking or knowing who to block and things like that. And just giving them game when he do come out, uh, when they do come out the field, he can tell them, pinpoint what he sees from the side. KJ, I want to I ask, this is kind of two questions rolled into one. The first leads into the second. And, and one is backwards looking, the second is forwards looking. What, Coach Pittman brought up the idea of, uh, I don't know if he used this term, but it seemed to me, and I think it, it was obvious watching, there was a disconnect in some of the things that he wanted from the offense and what was being called. He even said that we never really clicked offensively. Um, can you address that of, over what's happened in, in the past, not just six weeks, but really since camp? What, about, about a disconnect in, in how the offense was being run? Uh, I would say just, um, I mean, a main point he's hitting on there is being able to, uh, in the spring, we had a great spring. I mean, we was connecting on deep shots. We was running the ball efficiently. efficiently. And then come uh, fall camp, we also had a great camp. And then when the season come, it kind of, uh, things kind of got twisted a little bit as far as do we want to be able to run the ball a lot more? Do we want to pass a lot more? So it kind of was a toss up at what we're going to do going into the game. And is it going to be a balanced attack where we want to pass more this game or we're going to run more this game? So once we figured out 
if we could run the ball, then we, it was more of a, a rushing attack and then just small RPOs off of it. Or we go into a game, it's like, oh, we can pass the ball a lot more. Then we try to get the running game elevated in that game. And things just kind of got misconstrued in that, in that way. So that's what Coach Ben Bain hit on. Well, now you've also addressed to us, you know, what, how you think uh, you would like to see the offense go moving forward. And it's not to talk about that, but there are four games left. Mm -hmm. What... How do you view these next four games in the overall arching perspective of the rest of the season, one at a time, and, and how can you uh, help things moving forward to improve this offense? Uh, like you said, one at a time, take it one day at a time. I mean, we uh, this week, I mean, we got a, a great opportunity ahead of us to be able to get guys healthy, get in the film room, um, get guys in the training room as well, to so make sure every, we have all hands on deck for these last four games. and. As an offense standpoint, I mean, we want to come in and be passionate. Uh, that's the main thing. Be enthusiastic about going out there and having a great opportunity to go to Gainesville and play a, a great team in Florida and being able to come out victorious and also just man, being able to get back to the old standard that we used to have about chipping on our shoulder and toughness and playing Arkansas brand football. Now, I only have a couple minutes left with you, and I, I have two people sitting here with me that, I mean, it's a pretty exclusive club. Anybody that's played quarterback in college major college football and then those who've been the quarterback for the arkansas razorbacks for three years you and matt jones are two of only a few that can say that um it's an experience that none of us know what it feels like i have no idea what it feels like can you put it into words what it is like in a state where razorback football just is so dominant and you're playing the most you know the most important position and the one that gets talked about the most you're in a fishbowl and it's a small fishbowl. No, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a real moment. Uh, I, I still catch myself thinking back, like, how did I end up at Arkansas? And uh, and I just, the, uh, my journey just so far just been amazing. And just like you said, I mean, just the people in the community just love the Razorbacks. And I mean, they're always there for you, rooting your uh, corner. And uh, I just love every moment of it, just being able to be a part of something so special here at the University of Arkansas. It's football season at your neighborhood Buffalo Wild Wings. And with 64-inch TVs, beer, burgers, and, you know, wings, Buffalo Wild Wings is the best choice to watch the big game. So bring the gang and join us this football season at your local Buffalo Wild Wings in Bryant, Little Rock, Sherwood, Conway, Jonesboro, and Fort Smith. Buffalo Wild Wings, beer, wings, sports, and your home for any game. Roar! Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. For your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. A lot of, lot of travel this uh, this week. Again, we're at, uh, we're at Crabtree RV Center Friday. And uh, then next week, um, I'm taking my only flight of the football season, Matt, going out to Gainesville. Um, you know, it was interesting. Dave, Coach Dave Campo was here. Yeah. Uh, Coach Dave Campo, former uh, head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, came out here. He's got um, he's got family that lives here in Fayetteville. He was at the last football game, and he also is a talk show host in Jacksonville. Um, did you guys work together? He was there when my rookie year. Um, 
with 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 oh Jack Del Rio. You know he's a defensive coach. He coached mm-hmm. the D backs. Uh, either either he was there a couple years. You know I was there four years. I, I he was there for a couple of them. He's a great guy that you know uh, just kind of pass each other's in the hallways. But there was nothing. You know he coaches the D backs. You know it's it's like um, those are the guys that were guarding you in practice, right? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I, maybe I should have learned a little bit more. That's 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 for sure. He was he was a great coach. Um, he, I don't remember the last time he coached in the NFL, but he's been doing sports radio in Jacksonville for a while. Says he does mostly, it's mostly NFL. Um, other shows on their, on their station will do uh, college and, you know, pro sports town. Although they only have the one major league sports team in Jacksonville. Um, what kind of a sports city is Jacksonville? You know, we, we uh, man, that, that first year there, we made the playoffs. That third year there, we made the playoffs. And I think they had to black out some of the games or tarp out the games. You know, in, in America, we, we build these stadiums so big and instead of instead of building them 60,000 people and having them be your fans, you know, and having a real home field advantage. Uh, we they're, they're all about, oh, well, maybe let me make more money. So if I build it more and get it to occupancy or – it, but it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily work out that way. And uh, they're they're a college town. I, I'd say they they like. I mean, it's great support. Don't get me wrong. But they. You had the Tim Tebow when I was there. Uh, Tebow was doing his thing, winning his Heisman, Urban Meyer. So it just seemed like there was a lot of Florida Gator fans mm-hmm. that that were around there. Yeah, I can imagine so. Um, I'm sure that there'll be plenty of Florida Gator fans there this weekend. When the cocktail party takes place, it is called TIAA Bank Field, right? But that's the that's the old Gator Bowl. Well, yeah. Well, the new Gator Bowl. Municipals. They, I think, one of the years they couldn't, they didn't even sell it out to uh, to have a, a label up top. So I, they were, I think, they were struggling sometimes. Well, I know they want to build a new stadium too, or drastically change the current stadium. Maybe that'll get them to a point I, where they're not playing two games a year in London. Well, yeah, I, I you know you you're working on your brand marketing there, and, uh, and and is the value worth it? I, I always liked that 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 stadium there, and then because you had camp there, and you had all your you know when you go away to camp, you don't have the facilities aren't as nice, and and, and your routine kind of gets changed. Like a how the Cowboys bit. fly out to where is it Oxnard, F- well, California? You know you got also look the haves and have yeah. nots. Cowboys are the number one ranked team, and in, in, in as far as how much money they yeah, have, monetary and, and value. We were we were down to the bottom could so. you feel that when you played there you could kind of you know there's remember big, yeah there's bigger clubs and smaller clubs well, it's like you brought That's, up Moneyball earlier yeah. the, the movie Moneyball and everybody would always point to this is the thing that always blew him away it's like David Justice had to pay for a soda yeah <laughs> right right don't don't no more soda money but yeah no you can you can tell a difference that but there there's still uh it's 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 another thing that you can have a chip on your shoulder about, you know. And that that business, you're always looking for some little edge, or for something to, you know. It's they're they're all so talented. It's just all psychological at that at that level. Yeah. You know the um, I wonder what the how what the tickets for any of the World Series games in Arlington are going to go for. Small park, you know that that you you said how they used to build the football stadium so big, um, you know. And, and how many years did you have Michigan and Tennessee? 106,000, 110,000. Just trying to one-up each other by by a dozen seats just to have the largest stadium. And then you find out those are are tough stadiums to fill sometimes, Uh, even in years that you're doing great. Uh, So 
you know, the idea, little, you know, it's like what they what they're talking about. If there's a renovation of Bud Walton Arena, you you probably aren't going to have uh, capacity of just over nineteen thousand. I don't think it would be that much lower, but they would lower it, and you know, that creates a little more demand for tickets. Ticket prices get jacked up a little bit, and so it's like Globe Life Field, the new Rangers Park. Uh, has a capacity of 40,300, which is nuts to think about a stadium that's built for over a billion dollars. A lot of that went into the roof. Of course, Major League Baseball decides whether the roof is open or closed in the postseason, not the home team. The old Rangers Park, you could fit like 52,000 people into it. They didn't have trouble selling it out for the World Series. I don't think any place should, but... um, and I don't, I don't know which, I don't know where the series starts this year. If it probably still depends on whether or not the Phillies or the uh, D-backs get there. But I'll tell you what, like if people talk about TV ratings and everything like that, Texas will get some eyes. I think Philadelphia will get some eyes because of Bryce Harper and because they were there last year. Um, I think also, by the way, so something I didn't bring up earlier, Matt. I think that we just saw Dusty Baker's last game as a manager. Really? Yeah. That was it, huh? There were, the reports came out that he'd been telling people within uh, the Astros front office and whatever, within his orbit, that that was going to be his his last, well, is, this was his last year managing the Astros. I don't know if it's something he had started to tell them about over the course of the season or if this was just a decision he'd made recently and started to talk about it. But, yeah, I think Dusty Baker's career, which spans... 26 years, um, over 4,000 games, just as a manager. Doesn't even count the, like, 15 years he played the game. It's finally coming to an end. Get that man into the Hall of Fame, please. Get his toothpick in the Hall of Fame as well. Does he have a cinnamon toothpick, a mint? You know, what kind of toothpick does he Because he's, he, he's, he's got it working. What, what's the biggest game Dusty played in? Like, when you, when you talk about so, because my generation, I remember Dusty as a manager only. Right. Uh, but you're a baseball savant. So, you, what, what's a big game? What, how, how, where, where did he play? Well, Dusty started with Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, his, his big, his main mentor originally was Hank Aaron. Okay. So, I mean, he was there when Aaron broke. Babe Ruth's record. I'd say that's pretty. That's pretty cool. It's a pretty, yeah, pretty uh, landmark game right there. Uh, played with the Dodgers when they won the World Series in '81. He was there for Fernando Mania, um, and he was also there with the A's just before they turned into the dominant American League franchise in the late '80s. So he'd have been there for. Let's his last year was '86. He was there for Ken Seiko's rookie year. He he didn't play for the Reds. No. He, yeah. Atlanta. He got up to the big leagues at age 19. Mm. With the Atlanta Braves, played with them until 76. Dodgers from 76 through 83. One year with the Giants and then two years with Oakland. So, I mean, that's a lot of time in California, too. And then as a manager, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, he's three-time manager of the year. Got to the World Series with the Giants. Managed Bonds and Kent and all those guys for 10 years. Managed the Cubs. And that included the heartbreak of the 2003 playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, people, sometimes people blame him for Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood breaking down that he might have overused them a little bit. Did manage the Reds. Uh, I think he got the Reds to the playoffs. That's the last year the Diamondbacks won it, huh? Did the Diamondbacks win it that year? Uh, The D-backs won it in 01. Okay, okay. Beat the Yankees. Nationals for two years. And then the Astros as a, uh, we, need, we need people to like us, so let's go get a likable manager in Dusty Baker. And I don't know if it worked, but I don't think people like Dusty. They just didn't really like the Astros. 
Um, uh, home field advantage isn't decided by the All-Star game anymore. That's been a few years, and thank goodness for that. Um, what do you think Arizona's chance of winning tonight? Just as good as any. I think it's 50-50. A game seven, I think it's 50-50. Uh, I don't know what the, um, hey, look, the pitching not, depth is, but I, it doesn't matter when it's a game seven, Zach right? Wheeler's not available. Yeah. Aaron Nola wasn't very good yesterday. Um, anything can happen in this one. I think they're going to be good. I think Arizona. I think it's going to be a tight game. But then again, I expected yesterday would be a tight game, and it was a it was a ten three blowout, tight for three innings, and then not not so much anymore after that. Um, and West tells me Rangers have home field. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why, because you had because they're they're a wild card team, and the Phillies and the D backs are a wild card team. Is came down to record potentially. Maybe that's why. And then Jody and Harrison asks, when's the jukebox going to play again? I don't know. We were trying to kick around some of those songs last week. It could play, but uh, still no money on the jukebox. You know, I stopped with my son at CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers on the way to Fayetteville on Friday, Matt, and there's a broken jukebox in CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. You get to fix this thing. You know, I don't know if there's some handyman out there that knows how to mesh the gears together just so, I so got, that the jukebox start playing music again. I got my World Series question in that, that didn't go very well, and then I didn't uh, I didn't get to ask my jukebox question. I was going to see what kind of music KJ listened to, so it's a good thing you were here today. We talked a little more football. Yeah. That's all right. Speaking of talking football, Bill King from Nashville Sports Radio stops by after the break on Halftime. Passion is something that exists in all of us. I know we got a lot of passionate Hog fans listening right now. And I know that all of you love football season. Dave Bushkill and his team over at Eastside Liquor are the exact same way. They can take care of all your tailgating and party needs. Whether it's just a few beers or alcohol in bulk. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith to check off every item on your list. Eastside Liquor, your number one stop for Arkansas football this season. The Arlington Resort Hotel and Spa has everything you want for your next getaway. With the luxury and hospitality of a grand old southern hotel, the accommodations are sure to please everyone. Visit our thermal water bathhouse for mineral water baths and massages or enjoy one of our many dining options, like our Friday night seafood buffet, primetime in a fountain room every Saturday night, or our award-winning Sunday brunch. Located in downtown Hot Springs, the Arlington is steps away from shopping, entertainment, bathhouse row, and the hiking and biking trails of the National Park. Visit ArlingtonHotel.com for more are you in need of an attorney? Hickey and Hull Law Partners is your firm. Hickey and Hull understand the importance of client communication, meeting with you, responding to emails, and returning calls. Hickey and Hull are attorneys you can trust to guide you through a divorce or a custody case, criminal charges, or even civil lawsuit. Ready to put their seven decades of experience to work for you and get the best results. Every case is important. Hickey and Hull Law Partners strive to give each client the time and attention it deserves. Visit them at KevinHickeyLaw.com. Hickey and Hull Law Partners. Things are about to get better. And now, back to the podcast. Bill King from Nashville Sports Radio joins us this, uh, well, I was going to say this morning, this afternoon. Bill, always appreciate your time today. It's an off week for Arkansas, but it's not an off week for college football. How are you? It might be an off week for Arkansas, but it's not an off week for them. <laughs> not at all. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We had KJ Jefferson on the show earlier, Bill. I, I yeah. saw what you told me. I didn't get to hear it, but uh, anything good? Any anything to glean from it? 
Oh man, he handled himself like a professional. Uh, it, it was cool, yeah. and uh, everything was, was was first class. But uh, you know, at least you can't take an L this week. You know, so it's 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 all right. And there's still a mathematical chance, and and you don't quit. You don't you don't. I mean, I I don't know what the situation that happened. You know, that if you're going to see a, a backup quarterback, but I think you play KJ as long as he's healthy. I don't think there's any debate there that he he's the guy. But you never know uh, if you're mathematically eliminated if uh, what, what they might do with the new coordinator. I don't know what you guys have discussed, but when things are going bad and a coordinator gets run, that's the last line of defense before the coach gets it. Now, I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying the next move will be the coach. That's where we're, that's a historical marker that is a 100% truth teller. Again, for your audience, I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying if it don't get fixed, there's no other coordinator to fire. It goes to the coach. Have you seen enough out of Travis Williams that that he's in line for? Because I think he's a head coach. I don't know if he, you know, what, what, when do you say when somebody ready? Is, is it an age thing? Is it a maturity thing? Uh, could you see them staying in-house or uh, at least keeping him as the D coordinator? I'd say nine times out of ten, if you hire from within – because you had to fire a guy. Not that you named an interim because we, we, our head coach is going to retire, Jimbo Fisher, and he's going to get it. But it's bad, and you still hire from within. I'd say there's about a 90% failure rate when it oh. comes to the head coach. Dabo Sweeney would be the ultimate example of it working beyond anybody's wildest fantasy, right? That is a one-in-a-million shot. Now, to stay on as coordinator, absolutely. That happens all the time. I mean, it happens all the time. But but to elevate as the head coach, I'd say nine times out of ten, that's a horrible mistake. You know it's been amazing to see this too, Bill, and you even brought up Dabo's name. There's a chain of hirings that led to Dan Eno's coming here. And it doesn't look like any of them have necessarily worked out. We already know that about Coach Enos because he, he's gone less than 10 months into his tenure. Garrett Riley moves from TCU to Clemson. Their offense has fallen off a cliff. Uh, Kendall Bryles goes to TCU. They're not doing great right now offensively. They've had some moments. I know they've had some injuries, but they're not scoring a lot of points right now. And we know what happened here at Arkansas. I mean, that's... There's three hirings, and maybe you give some of them some time. I think Riley, I don't know, will will Garrett Riley get another year? I mean, he's he's a really respected young coach. I can, I can go case by case, but since Clemson's the bigger brand, Clemson's problem is they have stopped getting Justin Ross and the ATN kid, and they're not mm. they're not nearly as good a quarterback. They, they kind of got spoiled. It's not their fault. When you go back-to-back with the quarterbacks they had, they had two generational quarterbacks, and that's hard to maintain. Klubnik is he's not a five-star. He's probably a three-and-a-half star. He's gone rogue twice now in games in overtime where he either audibled or just decided to improvise on his own, and it was a disaster. Matter of fact, it was the last – this last week was the last play of the game. And – in the Florida State game, it was the second to last play of the game. 
They've got to get him under control there. He is not ready to be making decisions like that. But they don't, they're not special at running back. They don't have receivers that scare you. And their offensive line is still a problem. And, yeah, Coach Riley, I think, is a good coach, but he's not dealing with the personnel they're used to having. As far as, as, far as uh, <clears throat> I don't know what the situation is with Bryles at TCU, for, right. for Arkansas moving forward, we're still trying to figure out like what this offense will look like with Kenny Guyton calling the plays. You know, he's a first-time offensive coordinator, and he's being thrown into the job. He'd worked with Bryles not just at Arkansas last year, but also at, at Houston. Um, so that makes you think, like, you know, he comes from that kind of DNA. But also yeah. yesterday in his press conference, Bill, Sam Pittman said, we're not doing anything that we haven't already done this year. So you're not going back to the Kendall Bryles playbook. We just That, that kind of makes this interesting. They just got to find something that works, and I think they've been grasping at straws. I remember Kenny Guyton getting recruited. I remember him at Ohio State. This is an interesting move. Now, the chances of elevating a guy week nine and there being some kind of impact, that's 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 substantial is neg- it's zero. You just you cannot fix much right now. They are what they are. It, and and that doesn't mean that he can't with the rest of this season, the non playing portion of the season, spring ball and all that find what this team can do well and tap into it. But you're not going to get much done right now. I don't, I don't, if you brought in the most brilliant offensive minds, if, if Lane Kiffin was your offensive coordinator right now, you wouldn't get much done week nine. Bill, Penn State-Ohio State matchup, is that about, about kind of what you thought? Did, has Ohio State done enough uh, for right now to be in, the, in your top four? I think so. This isn't one of the best Ohio State teams I've seen over the last 15, 20 years, but it's a, it's a top-four type team. There's no standout team like some of the years we're used to. There just isn't. And here's where they're, they're much improved. They were not playing defense. They, they were kind of like these Lincoln-Riley teams. Maybe not that bad, but they were not playing well. They hired Jim Knowles away from Oklahoma State, and he has been now. He's, he's turned the corner. They are really salty on that side of the ball. And Penn State, under James Franklin, cannot, does not win big marquee matchups on the road. I figured the horseshoe would be the difference in the ball game. And I believe the stat, guys, was Penn State zero for 15 third down conversions. How's that look on a stat sheet? Wow! Yeah, it stands out on a stat sheet. That's for sure. That's uh, I, I that, that's not getting it done. Uh, I do want to ask you about the USC situation with them taking their second loss right here. Do you think Caleb Williams? Anything could you see uh, it, him shutting it down at all? It's been thrown out there, and I don't know if that has any of his fingerprints on it or not. He's the top pick or the number two pick, whether he plays or whether he doesn't. I, I'm such a college fan. I'd hate to see it. But I'd probably be, you know, if that was my kid and he said, you know, dad, I just don't, you'd have to support him, right? I I don't like the idea of it. They're not, they're not going to win the league. They're not going to be in the playoffs. They don't play a lick of defense. And Lincoln Riley has not shown us that he's interested in fixing the defense because words don't mean anything, guys. You know this. It's actions. They've done nothing to fix that defense and they're not going to. 
What about uh, what about Texas? I saw uh, you know Quinn. Quinn Is he hurt? He's hurt. He's got yeah. a, he's got a he's got a grade two strain uh, to the AC joint. You know, you know, you know a lot about injured shoulders, Matt. This is something could keep him out for quite a bit. I guess I thought Arch Manning might get a chance, but uh, Steve Sarkeesian says Malik Murphy will step into the quarterback role this week against BYU. Without Ewers, is Texas in trouble, or are they going to be all right? I think that's problematic. It's the throwing shoulder, too. It's the AC joint, the right shoulder. Malik Murphy's a redshirt freshman. Arch is a true freshman, as we know. Murphy's a big, athletic, got a pretty alive arm, 6'4", 6'5", quarterback. I think they're going to be okay here. I don't know if they have to lose a game waiting on Ewers to get back whenever that's going to be until we get the probable rematch, which is Texas-Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. I think they're well-stocked enough to not lose the rest of the way because of the quarterback situation. I don't, I don't think that would be a legitimate excuse. And now to our weekly Michigan rule-breaking segment of the show. Um, yeah. Yeah, we talked about the COVID restrictions with you a couple of weeks ago. Now there's a uh, sign-stealing scandal with, with Michigan. And uh, it's interesting when you hear the opinions for people because they're on the extreme. You know, some people think, or they're at least communicating the idea that, my gosh, it's such an elaborate scheme. I can't believe they're doing this and throw the book at them. And then a lot of other people are just shrugging their shoulders. Other teams do this. Don't make the biggest deal about it. Whatever. Where do you come down on this? Nothing's going to come of it. That's, I mean, I can sit here and throw a temper tantrum. I don't think, and I have a lot of Buckeye fans in my audience, and, man, they think this is Armageddon. They think this is the greatest. They're going to be pulling past wins from them. This is some retribution. This is, this is some retaliation mm-hmm. from the NCAA because the NCAA obviously does not like them. They had the whole situation about the COVID that you mentioned in Harbaugh. Is it going to be four games or three games? This is, I think they've had this story. This story has been sitting around for about two years, and it's about now time that thing leaked out. And I think all the reporting is legit. The rules are so vague, I don't know what you could do about it. And, And frankly, if you don't have somebody right now in your office a computer geek or whoever who's trying to decode signals, then you're not trying to win. So I'm not that outraged over it. I know Harbaugh is not any old guy, so he's polarizing, and that gets everybody wild up, and I understand that. I just don't. It's, it's fun to talk about. I just don't know what you do about it, and I don't know what the clear rule is on it. There really isn't one. It's vague. Aren't we? I know. I know the rule came in like '93 because certain schools didn't want to pay to send people to scout. Before that, it was totally legal. And keep in mind, but like I come from the baseball world, where in-person scouting and advanced scouting is part of the game's culture. It's like when I heard that this was a this this was a thing, a scandal. I thought Michigan was was stealing plays from practice, or that it was something like Spygate with Belichick and the Patriots. It's not that at all. And it taught me something. I had no idea about this. Why do we not have, in this day and age in college football, where you can get anything sponsored and throw a logo on it and pay for it, why do we not have electronic communications to take care of this? We do in the NFL. I guess it's because they have all the money. Yeah, it it makes no sense. 
It makes no sense. Everybody's trying to decode. Now, do they have somebody as sharp as this military guy, Connor Stallion or whatever his name is? I don't know. What a name. Oh, I mean, it fits. You know, if you're going to do a movie, you don't need to change the name, right? There's a story, guys, back in the early 70s where Switzer had a booster in Austin, Texas, who was a big builder. And apparently he was doing work. His company was doing work at Texas. Switzer had him in there in the name of working as they were practicing the week of the Red River shootout. And they saw them working on a trick play, which they ran in the game and were ready for. It's a hilarious story. See? Same same story with uh, in Jimmy Johnson's book with, with that draw in the Super Bowl that they were running to Thurman Thomas. Uh, <laughs> right. He saw it on a video clip, and then they, they wouldn't allow any reporters in after that. Yeah, I mean, nefarious stuff has been going down. Now, again, I'm not trying to defend anything. I'm just saying I don't think anything. I just I don't see the outrage. I don't feel the outrage. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.